everyone, and welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I'm your host, Ray Harkins. Thank you very much for joining us on another beautiful week here in Southern California. It's summertime. I'm swimming, teaching the kid how to swim. So much fun stuff going on. But I'm sitting in my car currently in my garage because, uh, you know, I don't have any privacy. I don't have a place to rant and rave into a microphone without disturbing my family because they're like, what are you doing downstairs? Come on, let's calm down. But anyways, I digress. On this week's show is Kevin Berger, Bergenon? Again, why would I be a professional journalist and ask the guest how he actually pronounces his last name? But let's try it again. Kevin Bergen, Bergenon from Waxwork Records. Waxwork Records is a independent soundtrack-focused record label based out of Louisiana. And I've been following this label for pretty much since the first release, which was the Reanimator soundtrack on vinyl. And uh, I started to notice that this dude who ran the label has, has a history within the context of music. And so I started to pay more attention. And then I heard him do an interview where he spoke about his previous band and touring schedule. And I was like, okay, this guy, he's the real deal. We got to talk to him about this. He's not just looking at vinyl soundtracks and is like, oh, yeah, let's let's uh, put some out. And that's kind of it. He has a deep rooted history within independent music. And that's what I love. I love that. So anyways, let's get some business stuff out of the way. And uh, as you'll notice, more sponsors are coming onto the show. So if you, you yourself, I'm pointing at you, if you have a product or something you would like to promote, email me. Realistically, I want to pimp stuff out that I deem cool or interesting, or I personally enjoy. So email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. Let's talk, because you'd be surprised. Like Podcast ads aren't super expensive, and if you want to get your message out there, you'd be shocked at how this is a very, very interesting medium, because you know I'm endorsing this stuff. It's coming by me. I am pitching it to you because I feel like it's a valuable thing. Or if you just want to say hello, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. Visit the show's website. Please sign up to the newsletter portion on the right side of the page. You'll see a box where you can type in your email address. Yeah, then you'll get a nice digest of upcoming guests, recommendations, stuff you should read, watch, listen to, all that stuff. Kevin, it was a great conversation. Um, I could tell that he was excited to talk about the label, but then he was also excited to talk about his his past in regards to all the bands he played in. And he was definitely more of a metal-centric dude, but then his interests diverged all over the place from, you know, punk, hardcore, metal, all that stuff. I mean, we got off on a tangent of youth to today, and I love that. Anytime anybody's able to bring up the hardcore that I personally grew up on, I'm like, oh, yes, we are bonded. So anyways, check out his record label because he puts out great stuff. Creep Show, Phase 4, Starry Eyes. Some of the stuff is maybe a little more left of center in regards to like, you're like, what's Starry Eyes? Well, go on Netflix. It's a spectacular movie and the soundtrack is incredible. So yeah, they, I just, I love what he does and that's why I wanted to have him on the show. So in keeping up with our record label month, here is Kevin from Waxwork talking to me and I will talk to you after the jump. So I became pretty interested in uh, what you were doing after becoming completely obsessed with what uh, Death Waltz was doing. Once I saw 
what you were doing and then other labels like One Way Static kind of popping up, admittedly a few months after, obviously, Death Waltz and obviously Mondo had been doing a few things. To me, what made you legitimate <laughs> was the fact that you, you pretty much came out swinging with you know some pretty strong releases that captured a lot of people's attention. Was that sheer timing that that worked out that well? Or was it the fact that you really wanted to kind of, I guess, make a statement in order to sort of differentiate yourself from a lot of the other labels that were doing this already? Yeah, well, I mean, I really wanted, I wanted Waxwork to be different from the get-go. You know, like, I think any time that, you know, a business, you know, uh, comes into play and, like, you know, there's other people doing something similar, you always need to, like, kind of, like, be your own different animal. You know, be, be your own thing and, like, do your own thing. And, like, um, so Waxwork from the get-go, I kind of wanted, I kind of wanted it to have like this own kind of like feeling like this, you know, when you see a waxwork release or you hold one, like I'm really big into like the kind of like the, uh, the emotional aspect that goes into anything like music or like movies and stuff. And this kind of like feeling that you get kind of like, you know, you hear a song and like you, you remember like where you were when you first heard that song or who you were dating or like, you know, <laughs> things like that. Mm -hmm. So I mean, so I, I definitely from the get go, I wanted waxwork to kind of like give off this sort of aura that no one else, no one else was kind of like giving off. And, um, you know, like you say, like, you know, we kind of like came out swinging. I think a big reason why I was kind of like, I was kind of coming down from not coming down from, but like, I was kind of coming off of like the, uh, the whole like touring circuit and like being in a band and I had the kind I mean, I still do. <laughs> it was just kind of like this, this steam that I was rolling on and it was just like, you know, pushing really hard and making sure that like, uh, that, uh, waxwork was going to be like rad, you know, be awesome. And, that's something that I really like tried pushing hard for with my band because you know we were like always touring and always working and always doing something so I feel as if like I kind of like took what what I was doing with the band and I just implemented it with wax work basically is what I'm doing yeah sure sure so was it a, the the first three releases like that was strategic like you or was that just sheer timing that they all kind of worked out appropriately because what i'm trying to get is obviously the fact that like you're alluding to you see other things out there and it's really easy to look at what you know you were doing and just be like oh that's cute another horror soundtrack label great i presume it was strategic that these first three releases were the ones you wanted to do yeah like um yes definitely like it wasn't it wasn't very strategic. It was just kind of like, this is what we had. Cause in the beginning we didn't have a lot of titles, right? You know what I mean? So like, uh, it's, it just turned out that like in the beginning we had these, you know, we still, you know, we do, we had these rad titles like, you know, Rosemary's baby and reanimator and day of the dead. So like, these were all like really big rad titles that like, I just wanted because you know, I'm a fan of these movies. Yeah. Just, that's, that's just how it happened. It wasn't sort of like planned in any sort of way. It was just kind of like, uh, that's what worked that's, out. That's just what it worked out really well, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, having like these cool titles with like George Romero on board and stuff. So right. we came out strong, but we came out really strong. Yeah, no, and honestly, like I said, I, I, I do think that that made you legitimate. Like it made you a force to be reckoned with. And like, a, it, not just this, you know, cause you see these, I mean, even independent labels that aren't releasing soundtracks that are just, you know, whatever, releasing metal, hardcore punk or whatever. It's like, you know, yeah. they, they put out a few good releases and then they're quiet and you're just like, dude, you run a role. And so, yeah, it's, it's good. You were able to kind of capitalize on that momentum reflecting more on yourself. So were you, uh, were you born and raised in, in Louisiana or where did, where was your, uh, your origin story as it were? I was born and raised in New Orleans, Louisiana. I, uh, I always get, you know, I run into like this kind of like uh, people asking me like, so yeah, waxwork is like a New Orleans thing. And I'm like, no man, like waxwork cannot be anything 
more different than a New Orleans thing. Like, uh, it's just, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I'm from New Orleans. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> I could t- I could tell you want to answer another question about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I try. I really try hard not to be like you know, especially like say anything kind of like negative about New Orleans. But it's just you know, this is home base right now. But I definitely have entertained the idea of like of moving to somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, born and raised in New Orleans, uh, for better or worse, I'm from the South. And so what was your, uh, what was your family structure like growing up? Like mom and dad, brothers and sisters, and what were they, uh, what were your parents kind of doing for work as you were being raised? Um, well, my mom, she was born in Havana, Cuba. My mom's Cuban and, uh, she escaped from the revolution in 1960. She came to, came to America. She didn't really start like having like a, like a jobby job until like a, until we were kids, like when I was like starting kindergarten. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, she got a job and like, uh, my dad was a photographer, um, a professional photographer. He did like a lot of like, uh, commercial photographer photography for like, um, you know, Barks Root Beer and, uh, you know, like Toys R Us and stuff like that. So he was taking like photos for like the, the ads for like, you know, uh, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and stuff. I was able to like see all these toys before like they were actually like, uh, you know, in the stores and stuff. Cause he was taking the photos for the, uh, for the commercials. That's incredible. Which was really cool. Yeah. It was rad. So like, you know, I, I would find all these toys and I'm like, Oh, I want them, you know, and, but I couldn't open them up because, you know, like he had to take photos of them, like professional photos. But, uh, so that was cool. Um, so yeah, I have a brother as well, but like, uh, you know, he's totally like not into anything that, that I'm into at all. Like the punk scene and like any of that, he's, he's very like, he's very straight, you right. know, <laughs> older or younger. He's older. Yeah. He's like four years older. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's funny. You didn't have that sort of, uh, uh, that gatekeeper experience. Cause usually I, an older sibling being kind of the person that starts to, you know, tell you what the cool records are and tell you where the cool things are. But you, it sounds like you didn't have that experience. No, no. I had to like rely on like, um, you know, going to gigs and like meeting people and like, uh, making friends, you know? And so would you, uh, would you typify your experience of, uh, kind of, uh, cause New Orleans definitely like, like you said, it, it, it evokes, um, so many feelings. I mean, I, I know yeah. probably speaking from, uh, from our kind of what I'm assuming shared experience of, you know, New Orleans, where it's like, you look at the, the metal scene from, you know, I hate God, to, uh, you know, right. P- Pantera, everything that kind of revolves around, um, that, you know, stoner sludge stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, I'm so far removed from that because I mean, I, I don't, you know, I don't claim straight edge, but I am, you know, like, uh, I, uh, you know, I don't, I don't drink, I don't do anything. Um, right. so like living in New Orleans, it's kind of like this, you know, it's a party town. And, like, there's a whole lot of like human wreckage here. And, uh, it's, you know, it's just, you have to like, if you're not gonna, I don't even think about drinking. I don't even think about fucking, you know, doing drugs or anything. It's just not something that I've gotten to. Um, so like, yeah, I guess like to put a label on it, I'm, I am straight edge Yeah. and uh, living in New Orleans and being straight edge and being straight edge for like, you know, your entire fucking life. It's a, it's a weird thing, you know, like you just kind of like, you would expect to kind of get like bullied anywhere, but in New Orleans, it's like, a, it's like a different level. Like you're just kind of like, you, you were like so fucking alien to anybody here because, because you don't drink or you just won't have a beer with somebody or right. you won't drink a line of Coke in the fucking bathroom at like a fucking, like a hardcore show or some shit. So. Right. Well, it, it's very funny. You and I have, have similar experiences because I was born and raised in Las Vegas and I, myself, I, I still, I'm 34 and I still identify myself as straight edge. And, um, yeah. it's, yeah, it, I mean, it's a foreign concept. I mean, it's one thing to be raised in a major metropolitan area that, you know, there's obviously a million subcultures, but then to be, 
centered around. Like, I don't think there is another culture beyond Las Vegas or New Orleans that is so centered around yeah. drinking and partying. <laughs> so yeah, I, man, it's, I it's, feel it's like all, it was, I mean, you can't walk 10 feet without running into a bar. So that's right. just how it is here. So, so like, uh, yeah. yeah. So that, that obviously that colored your experience was, is it, was there a specific reason that you, uh, I guess, weren't attracted to that? Um, or was there, uh, was that just by kind of default who you were? Subconsciously, I was kind of like noticing everything that was going on. And like, I didn't, I didn't associate with it or I could relate to everyone else. You know, I was seeing like a lot of people like, uh, you know, I, I know people that have actually like, they were drunk and they were driving, they fucking killed people. So I think, you know, and I didn't like, I didn't look at that experience and say like, well, damn, like, you know, I don't want to do that. That's terrible. Like, you know, I, I can acknowledge that it's terrible. But I think when you're, when you're born in a place like New Orleans and you don't fall victim to kind of like that human wreckage of, you know, everything is just like, it's just centered around partying and like kind of getting fucked up and getting shit faced. I don't know, man. It's just, I, I just, I wanted to distance myself. I wanted to like be punker, I guess. And like, uh, just be totally alien to these people. And like, it, at some point, you know, you don't even think about it. You're just like, I don't even, I don't even want to drink. I don't, it doesn't even, it doesn't even occur to me. It's, right. Yeah. It's like, it's like, I don't like playing, you know, football. I don't like fucking, you know, I don't like doing certain things. It's just, it doesn't occur to me to even do it. And it's been that way for a long time. So I guess I was like, Oh shit, maybe I guess I am straight edge, you know? Yeah. No, well, that's it. I, I can understand the the zigging when everyone else is zagging, especially in the context of, of, you know, music scenes in general, where it's like, if you start to see, a common practice from everybody else. You're just like, yo, I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really into like energetic, like fast music. And like, there is a really like beautiful culture and like a really cool thing about New Orleans. Like, you know, it's, everything is old and everything is just kind of like, it's, there's a really, like, there's a cool like sexiness to it. But as far as like being involved in like a DIY scene or like a, a punk or a metal scene here, everything is really like, a, it's just, slow and kind of like heavy and like yeah. and i like a lot yeah. of that stuff that's the thing i'm really into like a lot of that stuff but it's just i want to fucking you know before you before you called me i was like fucking like blaring youth of today in the fucking whack office i'm just like do stuff you know get shit done <laughs> right right well yeah. it's, it's it is funny because new orleans is often i mean i i, I toured for years in bands just like you and honestly i played new orleans once and like i mm -hmm you know, I did maybe like 16 or 17 tours of the States. You, no bands stop there on a regular basis because it's notoriously difficult to draw people in that, that city. So like, I could see where it's like, you, the, obviously the scene has to be self-reliant where it's like bands start up and just play to kind of one another and the other hundred people that maybe go to shows. But uh, I could see that sort of that, uh, that restlessness that you were kind of wrestling when I first asked you about the question where it's just like, yeah, but I want to be a part yeah. of something. Right, exactly. Yeah, and like, I mean, going to gigs here, it's just like, I don't really go to gigs here anymore at all. Because, you know, one, because I'm so busy with waxwork. And like, two, it's like, nothing comes through that's worth a shit to me. Uh, the stuff that I'm into kind of just passes over New Orleans, because they're well aware that there's not a there's not going to be a lot of people there. It's not going to be worth their time coming all the way to the fucking like armpit of America to like, play a gig to fucking 30 people right. and, and then get ripped off. <laughs> yeah, we'll pay you, but we'll pay you in a fucking eight ball or something, you know? Totally. It's just, 
Yeah, anyway. yeah, no, that's that's funny. Um, so what what kind of kid did you find yourself uh, being as you started to, you know, go through high school and start to develop some of your own interests and identities? Were you uh, kind of the proverbial, uh, you know, indoor kid just sticking to his guitar? Or did you attempt to play sports but realized you weren't very good at them? Or how did that transpire? I... Um... <laughs> I played baseball and I was really bad at it. I played right field because like fucking like nothing gets hit into right field. <laughs> and uh, like I was just, I tried to get into it. You know, I was, you know, finding my bearings of like what, what I, you know, what I was into and stuff. But like from a very, very young age, I was very much into like hardcore metal, uh, just that kind of stuff, uh, horror movies and, you know, the cool stuff. <laughs> right. And how did that how did that stuff get uh, introduced to you in the first place like like i was saying obviously you couldn't rely on your older brother did that just come through like the influence of uh friends that you were going to school with yeah yeah like that's exactly what happened like i started going to um you know back in like the 90s there was actually like this uh, there was a better scene here than there, there is now and i was going to gigs and um when i was 14 no when i was 15 i went to my first like punk rock show and there was a band playing called Antarctica versus the world. And they opened up with a misfit song and I was like, Holy shit. Like my favorite band, like to this day is still the misfits. And, uh, and they opened up with brain eaters and I was like, Holy shit, like fucking misfits. Like, this is like, this is my tribe. These are my people. You know, I worked my ass off to make sure that I fucking joined that band. And like less than a year later, I was the guitar player in that band. And I ended up playing guitar in that band for many years. Um, so just by going to gigs, uh, finding out like, you know, from kids at school, like what's going on, you know, like, uh, you know, finding out, you know, oh, there's a show here tonight, you know, come out, there's going to be a punk band. And, you know, so that's, uh, pretty much how it happened. I mean, it was very organic, you know, just kind of like what happened, I think most, most American cities, so just word of mouth, especially back then, you know, before, you know, before, uh, the internet was like so prevalent, right. Just to, right. you know, get a flyer at school and like, just go to the show and like, find, Hey, I'm into this or Hey, like, I really don't like this shit, you know? Um, but yeah, like through, through friends, that's kind of like how, uh, how I, I learned about this stuff, I guess. Were your, uh, were your parents musical at all? Or once you started to kind of bring home this, this really weird punk stuff, were they, uh, were they pretty, were they threatened yeah. by it? <laughs> yeah. They, yes. They, uh, they hated, they hated it. I mean, to this day, they still don't understand. They don't really understand like what I'm doing with the wax work. Like they just don't understand like the idea of, and that's, you know, I can't blame them. You know, that's just how it is. Like, you know, they're, they're old school and they can't fathom the concept of like having a job where you don't wear stupid clothes, and like go to an office. Like they, they think that that's, you know, they, it's to this day, they're all like, why didn't you fucking, you know, go do this and become a police officer or like go work in a, go work in an office. And I'm like, Oh my God, you people like at this point in my thirties, have you not noticed that like, that's never going to happen. <laughs> yeah, It's like, how much do I, what, what do I have to do to show you, you know, that like, I, this is successful. Waxwork is successful. And like, this is rad and this is cool. And like, I've done all this cool stuff with these bands. Like they were not supportive of the music thing at all. They did not want me playing in bands. Uh, I mean, it was, a, it was an issue. It was rough. <laughs> it was fucking rough, man. Right. Were there, uh, so, so there was, there was a, what were their ambitions for you? Like, did, you know, like you said, they're, they're obviously they wanted you to get some sort of office quote unquote normal job, but was there, uh, was there a concept that they wanted you to do something? You know, did, did your dad want you to become a photographer or something like that? Uh, no, no, I mean, I'm sure he probably would have, well, no, he probably wouldn't have been happy with that, but, uh, it's funny. Like they wanted me to like, like be a fucking cop. It's weird. Like that, that came up a lot. Like, 
you know, why don't you like go fucking try out for the force? And I'm like, what? Like, no way. Like I fucking hate cops. Like I will never, ever be a cop. Like, uh, it's just, that's weird. Like, why would you want that for your kids? I mean, you know, bless their hearts. I mean, they're, they were good parents. They were like, you know, they were anything that I needed, you know, like they were there for me and they were supportive, supportive of me in like in many ways, but just not with like being punk, like not, not playing music. I mean, that was a fucking, that was a problem, especially when I was in high school and I joined a band called the picks and the picks, um, they were all like in college. I'm a sophomore in high school and like these guys are in fucking college. Uh, you know, it was, yeah, like hardcore punk. They were the fucking real deal. They moved, they moved to new Orleans from Houston and like, you know, fucking you know, like full sleeves, tattoos, mohawks. There was a chick in the band. Like it was just like the real deal, like loud as fuck, the loudest band in town. And I went to go see them play in like the band that I was talking about Antarctica versus the world. Uh, we all hit it off. We, came, we became friends, started playing gigs together. And I was all like, I want to play in the picks. Like, I want to be the fucking real deal. So I ended up joining the picks. And uh, that was like, <laughs> that was a problem for me. You know, like with, with my family, you know, like I didn't have, I didn't have a lot of friends in high school. Uh, all of my friends were in college when I was like 16. And uh, I was playing gigs with them at bars and stuff. Stuff and like uh in clubs and stuff like that they just like they thought it was out of my mind like it was just like i was a lost cause but to counteract that the picks were like probably the most positive thing that could have happened to me like to this day like um because jim who you know he's my best fucking friend and jim actually works at waxbury now we hired him a month ago um he actually moved from northern Louisiana back down to, to New Orleans to work for Waxwork. Jim uh, was also, or he still is, he's straight edge. And he exposed me to this kind of like this positive lifestyle that like, I either, I mean, I don't know where I would have been without without the picks. Probably fucking doing bad shit. Right. Like fucking, I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, like I was, you know, I probably would have been, I would have fallen victim to the fucking New Orleans curse. Like the, like the human wreckage here that getting fucked up and like, you know, knocking, knocking some girl up or like getting arrested or something. Yeah. I'm, I'm painting like this kind of dark picture about New Orleans. It's not all like that, but when the picks came to town and I joined the picks, like, it was just kind of like, Hey, look, minor threat, dag nasty, all the, like the DC hardcore scene, like this fucking, like get into this stuff, Kevin, like, and they would like, you know, make me CDs or let me borrow their records. And it was awesome. You know, like, Hey, like you guys are straight edge and you guys are fucking, into like getting shit done and like doing, you know, screen printing shirts instead of fucking, you know, like kicking back beers and shit like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh no, absolutely. I mean, I, I identify with that wholeheartedly. And honestly that I, I, that was one of the things that like in hearing you allude in either other interviews or other pieces of, uh, you know, content that you've put out there where I've just like, I felt, I felt like there was something underneath that. And that's obviously what prompted me to speak to you, but it sounds so cool that obviously the, um, to, to speak to what you're talking about in regards to, you know, the dark picture that you are portraying of New Orleans. Well, that is that is the reality of a lot of it. Like, it's definitely a burnout culture yeah. in the same way that, um, you know, I'll obviously compare it to Las Vegas, where I've had that same picture painted, but I still have a, a fondness for that, even though I don't live there anymore. Your perspective is colored by that. And that's not there's no way that you can take that away because you have such a history with the city. So it's not like exactly. You know, like my family's from here and like whenever I leave, I have to do a lot of traveling because of wax work. So whenever I go to like, you know, LA or I go have a meeting with somebody in New York or whatever, like I, you know, I, while I'm here in New Orleans working, I'm kind of like, 
you know, I'm on edge about like certain things, but then like when I leave New Orleans for a little while, I'm like, man, like all these things about New Orleans are so much cooler than the rest of the country. It's kind of like this own different planet. And it's like, it's got like a lot of cool things going for it that like a lot of other places don't have going for it. Uh, so yeah, I mean like, there, you know, it's, it's just like anything. There's a love hate relationship with, with New Orleans. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so it sounds like the uh, the the conflict at home was uh, was always prevalent, and you, uh, I presume, because once you started to play in bands and that pretty much consumed your life, did you have any plans of like, all right, well, I'm going to, uh, you know, this is what I'm going to do for college, or this is what I'm going to do from a practical uh, standpoint, or was it basically just like, yo, I want to tour, I want to create music, I'm just going to do this, however that may be. Yeah. I really just wanted to tour and I wanted to make music and I wanted to make records and like, uh, be a rock star basically. <laughs> um, yeah, like I acknowledge to this day, I mean, I still, you know, I still do like, uh, that education is like the, probably the most important thing for anyone, like, uh, going to school, like that is probably like the most important thing that any fucking body can can do is like get a fucking education. Like, don't be a fucking retard. You know, I, I, I didn't finish college. I dropped out of college because uh, I wanted to go on tour. Um, I'm only like, you know, I, I have like two more semesters and I'll finish, you know, but like, uh, I just, I quit and I fucking like just hit the road and I ended up like playing all these shows. And, like we toured Cuba and we did all this crazy shit. And, um, I can always go back, but then like I started waxwork and now waxwork takes up all of my time. So that, that was the path. Um, and it's right. It seems to me too, that the, um, your, your sort of, uh, drive and the idea that you always kind of, you know, it, it sounds like you obviously looked at something and you're like, Hey, I would like that. I'd like to achieve that in some capacity. And you kind of put your head down and do the work and, and get it done in a similar fashion, obviously what you're doing with, uh, with wax work. Were you kind of like the, uh, cause every band needs to have their sort of like business guy for lack of a better term or the band dad. Did you try to fill that role in most of the bands that you played in, whether or not it was either thrust on you or you just happened to have those qualities that <laughs> were needed at the time? Not so much in my older bands, like, but, uh, definitely like in, the last band that I was in, uh, I was kind of like, well, I mean, like you could ask them, like they'll say that like I was the dictator, <laughs> but, uh, but I think that, you know, every, anything, any business or any sort of like enterprise needs to have some, some sort of like leadership. And, uh, that's the role that I took in my last band. And, uh, yeah, for better or worse, like that's, that's I was, I did everything like from the business end of things to writing the songs, to, uh, paying for studio time, pressing records, making merch and just doing everything, literally everything. And those guys were just kind of like, you know, Nola curse, dude, New Orleans curse. <laughs> sure. Sure. Well, I think there, there is something to be said. Like every band needs to have that a component. Otherwise it's like, you know, you have four or five people sitting in a room and you know, the music never gets out to the world because they can't, you know, organize themselves to record or whatever. Um, yeah. But yeah, but it, it, it falls apart. And obviously it sounds like what, what happened with you where it's like, if you feel like one person is kind of, you know, running up the mountain by themselves without anybody else supporting it, not saying that that's what you said about your, your old bandmates, but it's like, that's when it kind of tends to fall apart when you don't have everybody, you know, kind of pitching their weight in, in some capacity. It's, yeah. And like, that's, that's something that like I really think about waxwork is because like, you know, even though we're a small, smaller company, everyone here, like pulls their weight and you know we all have like this kind of like this 
idea of what we want and you know we have meetings and like we we make shit happen like it's really is a very positive experience yeah that's great it's i i really like how you you continue to use the word uh positive because it is um i think there's a weird duality in the sort of dark stuff that we start to get into when we're you know younger and then obviously how it it stays with people like you and i um because you know usually you look at weird horror stuff and you're just like oh yeah you must be you know a satan worshiper and you hardly you know can wrap your head around doing anything else in the real world but then like there's clearly that's not the case and so like do you find that that people get thrown off by either you being nice or being positive or any sort of those interactions that you have people are really thrown off when they meet me because they feel as if like when they speak to me on the phone or like through email that i'm gonna be like this businessman but like then when they meet me, they see that like I'm totally like not that. <laughs> like I'm totally like the like the opposite of like a businessman. Um but as far as like I've never, you know, I've never ran into any like sort of like uh trouble with anyone thinking that like, you know, I was like some sort of like crazy like devil worshiper or something like that because I was in the horror. I think that's like kind of stuff that that's you know, that's that's high school shit. Yeah. That's stuff when you're younger and stuff like that. Yeah. When I was younger. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. No, I understand what you're saying. Um, but I, I, I find it, uh, I find it also incredibly attractive. Like, uh, I had, I had Spencer from death waltz on, on my show, uh, gosh, maybe two years or so ago. Um, and then I found, I found a real kinship with him as well because obviously he comes from, you know, the DIY punk and hardcore scene. And obviously it seems like there's an undercurrent in a lot of the stuff that exists that I feel that has that sort of quality where it's like, Oh yeah, I know how to like put out a record on my own because I did it for like in your example, like I did it, you did it for your own band and kind of having that, um, that, that knowledge to be able to put it forward. Um, do you, do you kind of, do you run across people that have a, a similar experience, whether or not it's like consumers of your product or other people that you've kind of met that travel in the sort of soundtrack world that do have that background? Or is that just kind of more of a minority and I'm reading too much into it? <laughs> no, 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 not like, uh, not at all. Like fucking, um, you know, I, I'm able to like see, you know, who follows us on like Instagram and Twitter and like, you know, like I speak to a lot of customers personally. And something that I've noticed is that like a, a huge number of our uh, customers are actually like, you know, they're into that lifestyle. Like they're, they're into like, you know, the punk DIY movement. And, uh, the, you know, there's a lot of them that are like straight edge and a lot of them that like, uh, you know, they, they own their own companies, but you know, they're doing it at a very like grassroots DIY level. Like kind of like, you know, they're, they own a tattoo shop or like they fucking, you know, they have a record label themselves or they have a comic book store or something like just like cool stuff, like really cool, fun stuff, you know? Uh, so yeah, I, I run into a lot of like people that have very similar interests. Um, and I think it's refreshing when you meet somebody that, that has absolutely nothing to do with like, uh, with, with the punk thing. Like, and they, you know, you mentioned minor threat and they're like, who, <laughs> like, what? what are you talking about? Black flag. What? Right. Like, uh, it's, it's very refreshing. And then like, you know, you connect with people that I think that it's all about connecting with people, like no matter fucking where they come from in, in life, you know, like I think putting up these walls or like where, you know, you only associate with a certain breed of people is like, kind of like, it's like the worst thing ever. It's like the worst thing that you could ever do. It's like, that's something that I love about waxwork is that like, uh, we we try to connect with everybody i think like uh i follow a lot of other like record labels too soundtrack la labels and otherwise like they could be anything um people that reissue like you know soul records from the 50s 60s there's not a whole lot of communication with the customers i mean there there's some but like i try to as much as possible like 
connected with the customers on some sort of personal level. Uh, just because I think it's, it's cool, you know, like that would make me happy if like I, I reached out to somebody about something and like they, they hit me back with like, you know, Hey, call me, dude, like fucking call me. I'll get that taken care of. You know, here's my number, you know? No, I think it's a really important point. Cause I, I think it's one of those things. It's very, um, <clears throat> It's very easy to mythologize things that you get into, even if they are small, it is easy to like, not even so much put something up on a pedestal, but to look at something and be like, oh, wow, like, that's so cool. I could never achieve that. But then like you, you, I'm sure would immediately tear that idea down. It's like, no, dude, dude, like, don't, don't think that I'm cool by what I've done. It's like, you can do something just as easy. Um, and I, I think that's kind of where the sort of DIY culture is, is it's not about it. Like you said, it's not about putting up walls, but it's just about giving you that sort of like undercurrent of experience where it's like you can meet a person and immediately be connected to them, but then also meet a person, like you said, who had no idea of what punk or hardcore was, but then be able to be like, Oh, like you can start that too. You know, you 55 year old guy, if you're super into, you know, like, you know, 1920s silent movies, like how about you do a soundtrack, you know, soundtrack label based around that or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Like, um, was it like, uh, the big boys, the band, the big voice in Texas. And they were all like, now go start your own fucking band or whatever. Like, I think that's like something that we say, like they would say that like after each gig or something, or that was like a song. I don't remember exactly. Yeah. But it was like, now go start your own fucking band. <laughs> no, totally. Totally. Um, so in your, it seems like the, the, the last band you, you were in, remind me of the name again. Um, she's still dead. That's right. It seems like that was that the one that I guess for lack of a better term had the kind of most momentum and you poured the most of, I guess yourself into that from just either trying to be successful or songwriting and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. She's still dead. It was like the, uh, the most recent band. And that's the one that like, uh, you know, that's the one that I think was like the most serious in terms of like the amount of work and effort that I put into it. And, uh, I was like kind of like the band leader and, uh, yeah, that's that's the most recent one. Right. And you played you played guitar in that, correct? Yeah, guitar and uh backup vocals. Okay. What were you uh what sonically? You don't even have to reflect on on this band, but um because it sounded like you were doing something kind of different um with all the bands that you were you were aligning yourself with, but what uh kind of walk me through what you were sonically trying to achieve? Like what bands were you kind of looking up to where it's like, "Oh man, that would be rad if we could do something that sounded somewhat like that." Um, it wasn't any one thing. It was kind of like all over the map because I, at that time I was like really listening, listening to like a lot of like classic thrash metal. And, um, but I was, you know, I was like taking that and I was trying to like take that thrash metal blueprint and apply it to like hard, like punk, like kind of like, like punk rock. Uh, those two things, like those two genres kind of like go hand in hand, you know, it's like, they're both fast and like, they both like, you know, like they, they share members of bands and stuff like that. Uh, so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like I was trying to sound exactly like, not exactly, but it was just, it was all over the map, really. It was kind of like, I was listening to a whole lot of shit at that time that uh, now I, I don't even listen to anymore. And if it were to come on, I'd be all like, oh God, I don't want to listen to this shit, you know, <laughs> um, you know, where I was at that, at that moment in, in my life, I guess. Yeah. How long, how long did that band exist? From 2010 until early 2013, I want to okay. say. Got it. Yeah. Um, and so it sounds like you had obviously some sort of touring experience. Did you, did you like the, the concept of touring and did you like it when it was actually put into practice? Yeah. Yeah. I love touring. Like that's, uh, I joke around all the time with like, uh, my friend Jim that, you know, we played in the picks together. Like we, we joke around about just like living on tour, like just hitting the road and like, just like, that's what we do forever. You know, that's something that we would always talk about. Um, 
but obviously that's not, you know, unless you're black flag, like that's not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, living on the road, like it's, it's, you know, it's hard touring. is hard. I mean, you know, you, you've been in bands, uh, but I really love the experience of touring and like seeing new places and like playing in a different place every night. Like that's so cool to me. Obviously now since, since you own a business and that it consumes basically all, all of your life, um, is it one of those things that there are uh, there are times where you get a little wistful for being on the road, or do you like being able to obviously be in one place and kind of you know focus on on the task at hand, so to speak? I think waxwork is like at a point now where I think uh, if I wanted to like go back on tour, like you know start a new band or like join another band and go back on tour, I could totally do that, and like waxwork would be fine. Like uh, I I do kind of like stress out over making sure that everything runs as like a tight ship here at mm-hmm. waxwork so like um but i at this point i think that you know even though we're incredibly busy like you know every day at waxwork is kind of like this like you know i, I get i get fucked with by Susie. she says that like the only time that i'm not working is when i'm sleeping <laughs> but even then i'm probably like in my head like thinking about work uh yeah like, i i fantasize about like going on tour again and like you know touring like europe and places that like you know certain places that i've never been right uh yeah, I, I get approached all the time by people like, "Hey, you know, you want to play in a band?" Blah, blah blah. But then, like, then I think about waxwork, and I'm like, "I'd rather, I'd rather do this right now. Like, make records, like, like do cool shit, like, you know, sell records that people are into." You know, was there anything that uh, kind of took you by surprise in regards to the conceit of starting a label and kind of like letting it run? Because, like, usually, I'll, I'll give you an example where it's like, usually, no one when they start their own thing is like dude, I can't wait to be a boss. Like, it's going to be so cool to like supervise people and like tell them what to do. Um, was there, was there any sort of like, uh, things that surprised you as the label either started to grow or the inception of it, um, from just like the sheer workload or any other example that you can kind of, uh, you know, point to? Not really. I mean, like I kind of, i like the idea. I think the, I was thinking about this this morning. Like, I think the punkest thing that you can do like right now, like in 2015 is be a boss and like own your own business. I'm like, whether that be like a construction business where you're like swinging a hammer or a record label owner or like somebody that like runs a restaurant. I think that is way more appealing than, than working for somebody else. I think that's like, it's punk as fuck to be like a business owner or a homeowner or like just to be in a position where like you don't have to answer to somebody else. Like that's what, you know, that's being true punk. Like be like, I'm fucking answer to anybody. Like I'm my own boss. I am my own master, you know, that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really dig the idea of like, you know, I wasn't like, obviously I wasn't looking forward to being like a boss man. I don't think, I don't, I don't say it. I don't even think of it like, Oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a boss, you know? Cause I'm not like everything here at Waxwork is like, it's very like communal, but like, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that it's not, a, it's not a negative thing to, to be a, you know, a boss or a business owner or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I see your point. I, I guess, I guess what I was trying to, uh, illustrate was the fact that, um, you know, there are a lot of people have the notion to like start a label or do something like that. But then obviously yeah. once the rubber hits the road and like the practical applications of it start to <laughs> peel away at that, that dream or whatever. Um, so what things like, as you started to, you know, climb the proverbial mountain, what things was, were thrown back at you that was like, Oh, I didn't expect that thing to happen or I didn't expect, you know, this massive tax bill to come through or whatever. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, definitely like taxes and shit like that. I don't know. Like it, that's a, that's a hard question to answer because like uh, it's it's daily. Like we're something like we get hit with something and I'm like fuck. I was not expecting that to happen, or I wasn't expecting like that to cost that much money, or uh, it's it's a daily thing. You know, just just getting to work, man. Like everything. Like just trying to run something that's successful. You're fucking jumping over landmines left and right. So like, yeah. I, I, yeah. There's no easy answer. There's no easy answer to that question. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just, <laughs> I just, yeah, yeah, I understand what you're saying. It's definitely, yeah. um, yeah, especially just because, you know, the, well, this can lead into another question where, um, usually you have kind of that point in your own head, whether it's like obviously in the bands that you played with previously where it's like, Oh wow. Like this thing that I'm doing feels like real, whether or not it's like, Oh, we played a big show or, or, you know, we got to play with another cool band or whatever. Um, when in Waxworks kind of, you know, uh, infancy, uh, or, or even whatever the first year or two, when did you feel that, I guess for lack of a better term, it became, you know, real where it's like, Oh wow, this is like a, I guess a quantifiable commodity. <laughs> um, I, after we launched pre-orders for our first release reanimator, definitely. Um, there was a whole lot of fear going into it. I was just like, Holy shit. I really hope that people are going to be into this because I mean, I knew that there were other labels doing it. And like, I, I suppose that they were successful. I don't know, but like, uh, I wanted to do it because I thought it was like really rad. And like I was saying earlier that I wanted to kind of like do it like, with a different style than what other people were doing. But it was when we launched pre-orders for reanimator that I was like, Oh look, like we can, we can totally do this. And like, uh, it seems like people are catching on, you know, like in the beginning, you know, we obviously didn't have that many fans in the beginning. Like, uh, you know, just by like putting the work in and like really pushing forward. We, I think we've like, we've grown exponentially. Like, I think, yeah, you know, I, I was using the term last year a lot. Like we've outgrown our shoes because the label kind of like blew up, especially after like our second release, which was uh, Rosemary's baby. But yeah, definitely like from the beginning, I was like, oh shit, like this is, this is legit. We can do this. Right. You're, you're right. like, you're like, Hey, this pre-order sold more copies than like my band's last full length did in like a few hours. Yeah. Like within like, within like a minute because yeah, my old bands didn't sell a lot of records. Right. <laughs> no, it, it's, it, it is funny when you, you're able to stack two things up against one another and be like, Oh, so this is what like. This is what quote unquote success is. Like I thought I thought I was doing something cool back then, but wow, this is cool. Yeah, well I think, you know, I think it depends on like what your your definition of success is. But yeah, you're right. You're definitely right. Like uh, Yeah. Like I think just putting out a record in general, even if nobody buys it, even if like you only sell it to like your friends, like I think that in and of itself is like it's it's a success. Like that's what I think Ian Mackay was saying. I, I was like reading this interview with Ian Mackay from my threat for Gazi. And he's all like, every little thing that you do, whether it be like playing a gig to like three people and a dog is a success. You know, it's, it's totally like, that's, you fucking did that. You played that gig, you booked it, you played it, you know, that's a successful experience, you know, whether or not like people were into it, fuck it. You know, you made some records that was a success, you know? Totally. No, I I think it speaks to a really important point of you never know where the influence is going to come from. You never know what your one, you know, crappy demo tape is going to do to change the trajectory of someone else's life because they identified with it in some capacity. It's like you, that is like an immeasurable effect of putting stuff out into the world for criticism, good or bad. Um, and I, I think it's, I think it's a really important point. It doesn't matter from a monetary standpoint, if it's successful, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, if it was, then 
obviously people like you and I wouldn't dedicate our lives to weird shit like we're doing, but, (laughs) but the, the impact of just being able to influence is, is so, is so great. And that's obviously what, you know, what you're pouring into waxwork as well, where it's like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll usher this along. And like you said, speak to that sort of aesthetic and vibe. Right. Exactly. The, um, so like you mentioned, uh, previously in, in other interviews and you've done interviews with, with Susie, she, she's your girlfriend, correct? Yes. Obviously working with a significant other is that brings a whole lot of questions and a whole lot of concerns that sometimes spring up in regards to, you know, division of labor and then like whether or not, uh, they wanted to do this in the first place and all this other stuff. Um, I know she still dedicates a lot of her time to her, her own day job as well. The, uh, was that your original idea to be like, Hey, yes, I'd love for you to help me with this. Or was this just sheer, like she saw you, uh, struggling to keep, keep things up. And then she's like, Oh, I can help you. Um, I think both definitely like, um, I, you know, I think we went into it kind of like, uh, together. I feel as if like wax were kind of like took over it. Like, you know, it started out like in her photo studio, so, but then, like, as it grew, it just kind of, like, like just spread and, like, took over, like, every fucking inch of the photo studio. There were, like, records stacked in the ceiling. So, like, um, but she was, you know, it was always, like, it was agreed upon from the beginning that, you know, she was going to be equally as important to the, to the label as anybody else. Like, uh, and uh, she has, fuck, I mean, like, any, any chance that I can get where I can, like, say that she does so much for the label, I'll take it. Because, like, she does a lot more for the label than like, I think I could ever do honestly. Like there's things that like, I just don't, I can't even like wrap my brain around it because I just, I'm, I'm not as smart, I guess. <laughs> but like, uh, there's just a lot that she does for the label that is, it, it makes it what it is, you know, like, uh, when you see like a waxwork product, like, uh, it's, it's definitely like a, it's a creation by, by myself and from Susie as well. Uh, but it, heavily on the Susie side. <laughs> sure. So, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, but like, uh, she definitely like, uh, puts a lot of like work into it and like, uh, it's cool. It's cool being able to like work with your, your significant other. Yeah. So yeah, the, the, the intention initially was to try to keep, you know, your stuff separate, but then that quickly had to get thrown out the window because, uh, be, because of where you're at. Yeah. I kind of feel bad about it, but then I don't. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Cause this is so much rather than like, you know, everything isn't it you know like fucking making records isn't that the coolest thing ever? i don't know yeah um well no it's fuck. it is it is <laughs> it is it's meaningful to a very select few and those select few we we cherish greatly yes yeah and like we you know we we both dig doing this it's like really rad it's uh yeah, it's cool being able to do it together. It's awesome. Well, the last thing I want to hit on before I let you go was the, um, you know, we kind of alluded to it earlier, but just the um, the common conception that people have of, of record labels, no matter how large or small, is is that, you know, like what I'll use a random example of, you know, someone ordering something from your guys' store and then gets mad because it hasn't shipped 12 hours later. And it's like, well, dude, you place the order at 10 at night. Like, hold on. Like, we're just waking up or whatever. We're not Amazon. We're not shipping 24 hours a day. Um, what yeah. are the, what are the things that I guess your, your general consumer, um, not even maybe sp- specifically related to, you know, your label, but that you just notice, uh, that get, get kind of pushed back on you guys where it's like, Oh yeah. Like how come you guys didn't do this or that? Or, uh, that's sort of just like, you guys don't know how this really works at all in any capacity. We get a lot of that kind of stuff. I mean, like we get a lot of, uh, it's it's okay it's not like you know the end of the world like usually like when we have any sort of like complaint like we we address it 
we try to address it like very quickly. And then like, you know, that person with the complaint will come back to us and be like, wow, thanks a lot. Like really like, I appreciate you like explaining to me, you know, why my record hasn't shipped yet or why like uh, my record arrived damaged or something like that. Like, um, it's just, um, I think a lot of times when something goes wrong with, with any sort of business, like they immediately, uh, well, especially with waxwork, they immediately assume that like waxwork was the cause of that, like broken record or something like that. Not everyone feels that way, but a lot of people like, we kind of like, like, God damn it, you know, motherfucker <laughs> waxwork. Uh, but you know, we accommodate, I think, uh, customers very well. And like, we try to treat everyone like, uh, fairly so like uh, it's just you know that's like the one thing that i've noticed is that like sometimes like uh you just you know you want people to have more faith in, in us than like you know the postal service or like or whoever even the person plant sometimes because you know we don't get to like we can't exactly open up every one of these records and listen to it and make sure that there's not a skip or something you know what i mean but like if that is the case like we go out of our way to like make sure that like the customer is happy you know we try to fix it and now obviously since since soundtracks and putting them out is has reached you know i mean i would argue beyond a tipping point where it's like clearly you see a lot of stuff that's being put out there that um you know is questionable as far as like how many people are actually interested in that does that concern you is it one of those things where you're just like oh man like can we just knock it off because like we kind of got a good thing going and i don't want this this whole scene i guess being pushed away because of you know just everybody else kind of jumping jumping onto the same ship um no i think like it's it's you know i think it's gonna be around for a while like the uh the vinyl like soundtrack thing it'll be around for a while i don't think it's gonna go anywhere anytime soon uh, especially because like you know i'm actually like i'm physically i'm looking at like our release schedule right now and like we have that like uh it's totally like worth worth everyone's time it's like really cool shit that like i think people are gonna dig it i think people are really gonna like it like uh yeah i think i think it's gonna be around for a while i don't think it's going anywhere i'm not worried about like i'm not worried about it and if it well, no, no, yeah. Kind of like how I live my life. Right, no, no, no. And I, I was more so reflecting on the fact of uh, the. Um, not so much from kind of the first responders on the scene, which is, you know, I would, I would lump your label into that with, you know, you guys, Death Waltz and obviously Mondo, once they started to, you know, release more records on a regular basis. Um, but then obviously it's like you start to see, uh, smaller labels, uh, you know, kind of ch- erode, uh, you know, the, the consumer base to where it's like they have to, you know, as a consumer, you have to make a decision where it's just like, all right, if there's 15 releases available because yeah. there's so many now, it's like, I have to kind of pick and choose, you know, um, that because clearly, like you said, you guys have obviously put a good, you have a good head of steam going. So it's moving towards that. So, uh, yeah, it was more so of a, a general commentary to see if you had thoughts specifically on that, not so much on your release schedule. Cause I trust oh. you. I trust you. Yeah. I think like, um, you know, especially for like the new labels popping up to like, uh, you know, that's cool. That's great. But like, I think a lot of times, like, you know, people that want to start a new, especially like right now, like in 2015, like all of a sudden say like, Hey, I want to start a new label. Like that's going to release film scores and soundtracks on vinyl. Like, I think immediately there, those labels will be faced with the kind of like, well, first off, you're going to see just how difficult it is. It's fucking hard. And, uh, and then also like what, what's available, you know, because you have like these kind of like these powerhouses, like Mondo Death Waltz, and then you have Waxwork and One Way Static and like labels that like, kind of like, I don't want to say have scooped up like a lot of good shit, but that's, I mean, like, if you look at our discography, we have like a lot of really cool shit. And I think each one of the, I, I mean, I know a lot 
of like the stuff that's coming out of Mondo Devils that like a lot of people don't know about. And it's fucking really radical stuff, like awesome stuff. So um, I don't know. I mean, like, it's just uh, it, if I were in the position like right now in 2015 and I didn't have a record label, I wouldn't start a record label that released soundtracks. I would try to do something else. Right. Um, that's, that's not me saying like, hey, guys, don't start a fucking record label. Like, do what you want. But uh, it is it is very difficult, even for I think for labels like Waxwork and Mondo Death Waltz, it's a it's it's a full time job. And like this, you know. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, no, no. Well, I mean, it, you you just get to a point where it's diminishing returns, where it's like, you know, right. do, do, does every you know C minus D plus movie in the cult horror bins do they do like does that really need a deluxe reissue with you know crazy colored vinyl that you know 150 people are going to be interested in it's like that's when you start to yeah you have to worry about the the culture being able to support itself i guess you could say that about chud and tourist trap which were like two movies that we're releasing <laughs> sure I, I want that i want i want those two titles on vinyl hell yeah like fucking right like that's what i like about waxwork is the fact that like we can release something like we don't have any one sort of like genre or sort of like kind of like you know oh we release only like these a plus movies like i like being able to say hey you were releasing tours and then like next month release nosferatu or like you know release the warriors or something like that yeah you know it's it's cool like uh i like being all over the place i don't i don't ever want to be like just doing one thing that's right you can that's that's not you can you can release you can release highbrow art and lowbrow art in just the same fashion as as long as it passes your criteria of it being awesome. Yeah, definitely. No, that's really exciting. Well, Kevin, I really appreciate you hanging out, and uh, I hope this interview is uh, slightly different than uh, me trying to uh, get your release schedule to, uh, for the next uh, three years up out of you. No, man, I really, I really dug this interview. Like, it's uh, very different than what, what I've been accustomed to with, like, uh, talking about soundtracks nonstop. Right. So it's really, really refreshing. Thanks a lot, man. So there you have it. There was Kevin. There is the record label history, and uh, it's a nice little family operation he runs down there. Pretty cool, right? That's what all of us kind of want to do, have our own little corner of the world and kind of do what we love and make a living out of it. That's it. That's the goal. You look at people who have this sort of soul-crushing ambition, and I put it like that very specifically, where they feel like they need to take over the world. I just, I've never understood that. (laughs) I have ambitions, and I have various goals that I want to achieve, but is it one of those things where I'm so cool and busy that I don't even have the time to recognize a sunrise? As cliched as that sounds. So I just look at what Kevin does, and I'm like, that's great, man. Keep doing what you're doing. Hopefully it lasts for a very long time and you ride off into the sunset with 70-some-odd soundtrack releases to show for it. So, anyways, Tom Ridgefield, as always, is the producer for the show. We are closing out the record label month with a very special guest next week, a person who I've been wanting to talk to for quite some time on the show. And then we'll continue back to our regularly scheduled slash interesting people, something like that. Thank you very much for listening. I have been Ray Harkins. You have been the listener. This has been 100 Words or Less, the podcast. And until next week, please be safe, everybody. Hey.